Welcome to a special Crusader podcast featuring a recording of the How to Create Adventures panel from Northeast Arkansas Game Fest 2020. Hello everybody and welcome to the NEA Game Fest 2020 panel on making your own adventures. Uh, I am hosting the panel. My name is Carl. Uh, and uh, we have some guests with us today, esteemed adventure creators, uh, Casey Christofferson, Levi Combs, and Mike Stewart. And before we start, before we start on the uh, proper panel, the full panel, I do want all of you to introduce yourselves and uh, say a little bit about your work. And let's go ahead and start with Casey Christofferson. Um, oh, hey. So uh, Casey Christofferson here. Uh, I started with uh necromancer games about it'll be like 20 years ago in january and wow. uh yeah yeah so we're uh we're on it this is uh coming up on the anniversary year of uh my relationship with uh necromancer games frog guy games in the meantime i also uh did quite a few with uh troll lord games helped with the uh, uh castle keepers guide wrote uh, several adventures and notably with them would be the uh, haunted highlands uh campaign setting and uh, with the uh, frogs, uh, I guess the big ones would be uh, Bardsgate, City of Brass, and I'm currently their uh, full-time art director. So that's pretty cool, too. Awesome. Congratulations, dude. Yeah. All right, and we'll go over to Levi Combs. Levi Combs, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Levi. I am the owner of Planet X Games. Um, we do adventure modules. We do games. We do RPG designs. Um, I got my start actually with Casey. He let me wet my beak a little bit uh, with the <laughs> City of Brass yeah. and a few other things. And um, uh, from there, it's just I've gone on making my own adventures, uh, doing my own designs, um, working a little bit for Frogs and working a little bit for um, Necromancer Games, but it's primarily my, my own stuff. Awesome. And last but not least, Mike Stewart. Hey, yeah, I've... Uh spent the past few years doing a game thing or two, uh, done some fantasy adventures through Troll Lord Games for their Castles of Crusades line, uh, some things for Crusader Magazine, uh, got an upcoming piece of Gamma World-esque adventure setting for Scientific Barbarian Magazine for Mud, Pu Mud Puppy and uh, Jim Lumbler, and of course the victorious Steampunk superhero role-playing game and adventures for it. All right. Um, so uh, we're going to approach this topic in a couple of different ways. One, uh, just creating adventures for the fun of creating adventures for your own table at home. Uh, and then two, creating adventures for kind of a wider audience An adventure. The difference between, you know, running an adventure at home and creating it something that somebody can take and run themselves. Uh, uh, there's a level of detail we want to get into there. And then finally, we do want to talk a little bit about publishing, but this will mostly be about, uh, you know, for the love of the game and uh, uh, just uh, creating adventures as an exercise that is both creative and rewarding. And um, so uh, let's kind of uh, go over our... Uh oh, okay. Uh, let's go over our first topic, which is just uh, simply... Uh, why make your own adventures? There's there's uh, a million zillion modules already out uh, and about. Uh, you could you could start uh, alphabetically and and you would not make it to the uh, you know the V's by the end of your life. Almost almost impossible. Um, so if there are so many modules, why make your own? Now that's a that's a ringer of a question. So we're gonna go ahead and. Uh, Let's do the same order. Casey, go ahead and, and answer that first ringer of a question, and we'll go through everybody and let them talk about why they are inspired to make their own adventures. When I was a when I was a young fella, uh, probably uh, early teens, uh, I'd say uh, I started playing with a pretty regular group while I was in middle school, um, and then we kind of grew up. We grew over the summer to include and incorporate some uh, older kids who wanted to play. Uh, and we had a pretty solid group, six people, seven people, kind of bouncing in and out. And um, the uh, when you when you played the old uh, TSR modules, <clears throat> they were kind of in a adventure path that wasn't really published as an adventure path. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were set in Greyhawk setting, obviously. So you had like your uh, Slave Lords, you had the uh, Against the Giants, you had the Vault of the Drow, Queen of the Web Pits, all of that stuff ties together in some fashion. And then uh, you had the uh, Sergeant, we had the Sergeant version of the uh, Greyhawk setting. And there's so much subtext of other adventures and other possibilities going on in, in that uh, in that little book, in that little little booklet, you know, uh, with the big huge maps that uh, Darlene did, fantastic to this day, and uh, everything that was going on in the subtext of the setting wasn't happening in the modules. Mm. So that's when I started really writing adventures that would get us from point A to point B. If you're, if you're in the, the, the city, uh, I forget what it was, cause it was, you know, 30 years ago. But uh, if you're in the city of the, the slave pits of the undercity, and then you go to the next adventure in the, in the campaign, it takes you halfway literally across the map. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta kind of create some adventures along the way. And there's a little leveling up that has to go on in between those times. And, and really uh, that was kind of the gist of it. Uh, our characters had uh, had uh, countries that they came from that they picked out of the book, and they had backstories of uh, you know possible nobility or friendships or revenge that they were trying to get after. And uh, so, as the game master, I got to uh, fill that in for them and and develop the uh, modules and adventures to the point where by the time I was like a senior in high school, my friends were like, you know, you probably you should probably write these, you know, and and then you know. 11 years later I did. So <laughs> there, there you go. That's, that's my approach. That's what As- I got to it. An astounding answer, I feel. What a what a fantastic answer to that question. Um, so Levi, uh, same question. What, what has inspired you to create your own adventures? You know, for me, it was really more about a, um, a creative outlet. Um, you know, Casey and I, we met probably, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. So I have some crazy amount of time ago at a kind of con in Tulsa. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's when I first approached him. I was like, yeah, hey, you write these things for a living. You do this stuff. You know, how, how, do you, how do you get your feet wet? How do you get in there and do it? Um, and uh, he says, you know, you, you just you just got to do it. You know, just don't don't him and haul. Just if you got if you got something to write, just write it. You know, just um, don't uh, don't talk about it. Just do it. So as a creative outlet, it was it was more for me just kind of I had all these ideas floating around in my head and all these things that I wanted to do. And. I, and like everybody else, I'd imagine have a had a long-standing group of friends that I was, I was playing with. Um, in fact, Will uh, Will Hose, <laughs> you, know, you know, here you know here in the chat, he was uh, he was one of those guys. So um, you know, it was really just about getting all these ideas that I had in my head, all these things that I the adventures that I wanted to play, you know, and getting all, getting all that stuff out, you know, and getting it onto the onto the page, and uh, just having a good time with my friends, you know, just doing something cool. So that, that's where the genesis of, of, uh, of all my stuff came from, you know, my, my desire to, to, to make my own stuff, just a massive creative outlet. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. And Mike Stewart, same question. There's a, a million modules. What made you make your own module? Well, for starters, when I first started gaming, they, uh, you didn't always have the budget to get those million modules. And the ones that you did get, sometimes they were great, sometimes they kind of stank. (laughs) (laughs) Even really bad modules though, reading through it can make you go, hey, you know, they should have done this. Or how about they took this and did that with it instead? And you could build your own adventures off that. But playing a little off what Casey was talking about, there's also the inevitable thing of where you've set set up everybody to play setting the hill giant chief you've got the setting you've got the area you've got the pcs you're ready to go and they all want to go to the beach (laughs) so now what do you do you know there's that point of you know having to come up with your own adventures as well because it's not just you know, covering the time on the way to the adventure is part of it, but the other part is sometimes player character groups just don't want to go toward a particular direction. And you've got to have something either on tap or at least in the back of your head. And sometimes those can be the best adventures that you run off the fly. 
Yeah, I, I do think uh, uh, there's probably some correlation with uh, uh, people who run adventures on the fly a lot, eventually writing down their ideas and making their own modules. Um, uh, so let's go to our next question. Um, what makes a good adventure? Is it, is it discernible? Is it this is a good adventure? This is a bad adventure? Is it is it a a specific set of things or is it all to taste? Is it um, is it definable? And we'll we'll go back to Casey. I think we're just going to go down the line each time. Uh, I think that might work out. All right, Casey. So what makes a good adventure or a bad adventure? Uh, a good adventure is going to have a lot of uh, player engagement and, and player buy in. Uh, uh, Levi likes to likes to pick on me about uh, not not pick on me, but he he, go, he goes on about one of the adventures that I wrote quite a bit to the point where he's he's analyzed it to me so many times I think it helps me answer it, uh, <laughs> which was uh, Encephalon Gorgers on the Moon I did a couple of years ago, uh, and it's it's a it's a crazy adventure that starts you out in a in a deep dark forest and uh, uh, it's kind of got a uh, body snatchers it's kind of got a uh, Evil Dead vibe going on to it as you climb up the mountain. And it's got friendly talking cats, <laughs> and uh, well, psychically, yeah, friendly psychic cats that are good luck that give you give you chances to avoid certain death. And it's got uh, uh, encephalon gorgers <laughs> and, and, and a and a base <laughs> on the moon. Uh, and and the the players, as soon as they get around the cats, they're in the game. And they're they're in the game to play the to to mm -hmm. do whatever they can to help those cats, or or vice versa. Even people I know who don't like cats at all, they have that buy-in because it's such a it's such a crazy thing. And plus, uh, the opportunity to get a reroll in case you miss or mess up and fail a saving throw because the cat is within ten feet of you is pretty <laughs> pretty good. So uh, yeah, buy-in buy-in makes a great adventure because then the players are engaged and want to do it. Uh, monologuing bad guys makes a bad adventure mm. if you've got too much uh i find too much read aloud text in an adventure to be bad for an adventure so that's just me yeah awesome. wall of text is a killer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right levi uh let's let's same question let's go for it um okay so i think that uh a strong start always helps you know if you start out strong uh just like a like a J.J. Abrams movie, you know, they always start out strong. Uh, they don't always finish to the, to the <laughs> best, but they always start out great, really, really strong. Right. Um, good visuals help, you know. If um, like when I think back to like the the, the favorite games that, that I can think of, like my favorite games that I played, they all have these really strong visuals. You know, if I go back and I think about uh, Vault of the Drow, you know, I'm thinking of that giant spider ship. You know, that just such a cool visual. Mm -hmm. You know, just out there out of nowhere. Um, you know, was it fun? You know, was it, uh, was it something that was, we've all had a, a thousand adventures that, you know, we can't remember the, the minutiae or the detail of, but we have those, you know, those, those special select few, man, we remember every little thing, um, because it was so memorable, you know, uh, mm -hmm. somebody did something cool or, you know, there was a, a really, you know, badass encounter or just something awesome happened, you know, um, so I think that ties in with the, you know, was it fun? Um, let me think. You know, plenty of uh, plenty of opportunities for like different styles of role play. So not everybody plays the same. So, you know, you got your people in your group who are real combat heavy that like to hack and slash. And then you've got those people who like to solve traps or they like, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they like um, the role playing aspect of things. And they're not so heavy on the combat. And then you got people who just love the the kind of the location-based uh, aspects of role-playing, um, the exploration, you know, the finding something new, getting new stuff. You know, if if you offer, I think, a, a wide variety of all those all those all those different things, you're headed in the right direction. Awesome, awesome. All right, Mike. Uh, 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 so, what makes a good adventure, uh, in your opinion? One that doesn't suck. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> to play to play off what uh, Levi was talking about, uh, it really gets to, like you said, there are a million adventures out there. So when you're getting one or designing your own, 
you've really got to keep your particular group in mind when you put it together. Because, yeah, if your group's mostly hack and slash and you give them Ravenloft, <laughs> you know, that's not really going to work that well. Or if they love intricate role playing or puzzle solving and everything, and you stick them in studying of the Hill Giant Chief or something mm, equivalent, right. they're not going to like that. You know, you've really got to. And try to make it to where as many different character classes or types yeah. are going to have something to do. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, especially if you're trying to sell the module adventure, mm -hmm. and I know you're going to talk about that more later on, mm -hmm. but you're not going to know what classes will or won't be involved. So try to give everybody something to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And, and you all kind of touched on it that... You don't really know the the makeup of the people that are going to interact with what you're what you're writing, and it's it's not the same as not knowing the audience for a book or the audience for a movie. I mean, when you're writing an adventure, they're they're interacting with it so deeply that you have to take that into account. All right. Um, so, when you're writing a module, what steps are there? Are there applicable steps? to um, mapping out this process. Now, we've talked a little bit about this already just with our last question, but if you were to, and I think uh, Mike's point of like making sure uh, every kind of class in the game you're writing for um, has something to do in your in your quest, um, in your adventure, uh, that's the kind of area I want to go in now. What are the, what are the applicable steps of getting your adventure to work for as many tables as possible? And we'll start with Casey again. Um, uh, part of it is when you're writing and designing treasure. Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's big because you don't want to leave anybody out of the mm -hmm. loot. You know, there's always uh, uh, 10 million plus one short swords or plus one battle axes all over the place. But how often is there like a prayer bead or something like that thrown in there? Mm -hmm. or, uh, I... I well, oftentimes, I started doing this when I was working on a project with Necromancer Games uh, years and years ago. Uh, I worked on, uh, I, I wrote most of uh, Vampires and Liches off of some notes from uh, Bill Webb. Uh, he's like, I want these adventures and I want these magic items in here. And the idea for those particular adventures was to create an adventure that was um, kind of friendly to one particular character class in 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 uh in a series of adventures that were all about for seventh to ninth level characters so about the time you should get a pretty cool special item for your character that's going to help define them that's when that adventure comes along and it's not mm -hmm. enough to like maybe uh level up a guy but it's enough to level them up with a good cool piece of loot and so uh i kind of think about uh like how many adventures do they write for monks Nobody writes adventures for monks. <laughs> Levi and I write adventures for monks. You know, how many people write adventures for druids? Nobody writes adventures for druids. So we write adventures for druids. It's, we kind of pick that character so they have an adventure where they can feel like they were the star of the show. And everybody else also has an opportunity to help. There's still going to be a, a war chief that needs to be defeated by your barbarian. There's still going to be a gate that needs to be lifted by your dwarf. You know, all those things are there. But you kind of be conscious of the people at the table mm -hmm. give everybody an opportunity within a span of say sixth to eighth level or whatever to, to be that special guy for a little while, you know? Awesome. That's really important. Okay. Yeah, uh, work, working off what Casey's saying, I think um, that it's, it's really important to make the characters, the heroes. Um, you know, so often you read, you, know, you read a module and um, you know, there's just some sort of like, other thing that comes mm -hmm. in and, and kind of steals the thunder from the from the players um and i, I never liked that you know i never liked that uh you know you had to rely on some king or some some powerful sorcerer or whatever to get the job done it's one thing for them to give you the quest or the you know the point you in the right direction but mm -hmm. you know the star of the show should be the should be the players right. um all the all the best games that I can think of that I've ever played in, you know, we were, we were front and center. You know, our little group was, was front and center. Um, um, other than that, I would say, you know, stay away from common tropes, you know, uh, 
how, how many times uh, you know you, you can only you can only go and you know dump the ring in the volcano so many times or <laughs> you know you're going to defeat the evil prince or whatever and, and if and you are going to use the nuke. <laughs> if you are going to use those those common tropes and those common ideas then um try to put some sort of you know different spin on it or you know uh, something that will make it you know t- take it away from the, the you know the common you know the, the, the common uh right fighting field. orcs for the four thousandth time right you know what's what, what you like you know it's again like uh, casey was saying what's what's cooler finding a plus one short sword or you you find um you know a plus one short sword that's named i don't know sharp tongue you know and it's got some cool writing on the side of it and there's kind of a neat little backstory behind it you know there's you know absolutely that, that, that stuff helps um and then the atmosphere the whole atmosphere of, of the of the module the game um i always go by the rule of cool mm-hmm. you know um over yeah i get into this with with uh with fellow game masters all the time uh, I'm like I said, more of a rule of cool guy, but uh, and, and less of a rules guy. Like the rules are kind of a framework rather than just like the hard line thing for me. Um, if you can give me a good enough reason why your char- character can do it, cool. Let's you know, let's we're here to have fun. You know, let's not go too far down the rabbit hole on that on that whole rules thing. Um, it, again, it is to, to me at least just a framework. And uh, there are folks out there who crucify me for that, but uh, that's that, that's really how I've always played. You know. Um, Nothing takes away from the from the uh, the experience, rather than all right. Hold on, let me look up these this rule for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Everybody, hold on. Yeah, what we you know what while we get going with this. So uh, that whole rule of cool thing, um, it, it that's real important to me. Awesome, Mike. What are your thoughts on on uh, and, and you already went into some of them with uh, uh, being mindful of who's at the table. But what are your thoughts on on uh, applications of creating a module when you're writing a module, making it. Uh, uh, what what would advice would you give someone writing their own module to um, make it good, <laughs> for lack of a better term? Well, I was trying know, to sound it, fancy, then I went with make it good. I did a porky pig. Did a porky pig on you? Sorry. <laughs> Well, like I said, you know, there's ways to do that. When it comes to actually writing it down, of course. Um, I'd probably say the way I've done it is try to give an equal amount of time to wilderness activity. When I mean wilderness activity is it could be in a town or in mm-hmm. as well as the adventure area proper because you're going to have groups travel here, there, and everywhere, and things that you think are obvious clues may not be obvious to them at all. Absolutely. And... So give them plenty of opportunities to get to where the meat of the adventure is. And I'd say, and this is more of just a a nuts and bolts thing, but I'd say do your best to run the the adventure for two or three groups, if at all possible. Mm. Because, and, and the problem with your regular group is, even subconsciously, you know how some of them may react. And that will subconsciously affect how you write that adventure. And this may seem really obvious and work really well for your home table, but then you take it to a convention and try and run it, and it's a disaster. <laughs> so, and I'm sure we've all had that happen. So, yeah, I would say, you know, get a lot of experience from different people to make sure that the adventure isn't just fun for a select group of people at your table. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're just making it for your home game, of course. But I'm thinking more if you want to actually get it published. Right. So let's go on to that. So let's say, um, let's not jump into publishing just yet. Maybe you're going to release this for free on the internet. Maybe you're entering a one-page dungeon design contest or something of that nature. Um, When you're writing a module for someone else to run... Um, what are your approaches there and how do you communicate those ideas to that so that they can solidify in the other game master's head? And we'll start with Casey again. All right. Sorry. Uh, you just reminded me, Mike just reminded me of something that I didn't do for publishing an adventure. So 
Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm right here on my computer. So let me ask the question one more time. I, I, I ordered the maps. I haven't told the cartographer that they were good yet. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glad so I can help. It was like a week ago. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm the worst game product manager I've ever met. <laughs> oh, would, no. would fire me from it, but uh, yeah. So um, we wanted to move into the idea of yeah. you're writing a module for yes. someone else's consumption, uh, whether yes. it's a one-page dungeon contest, not necessarily publishing it and those steps of like selling and creating a, a drive-through yeah, yeah, RPG yeah, yeah, account. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I want to communicate this idea to solidify in another person's head. Okay. So I draw everything first. Not all of my drawings are great, but if I if I work really hard, I can draw really well. Uh, it's just when I'm just scribbling and it does look like scribbles, I'll get an idea for something like uh, I want a uh, I want a uh, campaign that's built on uh, the the body of a of a demon lord so evil that uh, all of his clerics rose up and tore him to pieces, but then felt bad about it, you know. Uh, and so then I will go, well, what would that look like? And I draw hmm. it in a sketchbook and then I will go and I will write down all the stuff that I just drew in the picture. Okay. And then I refine that stuff down. What's, uh, what would, what would this look like? What, what would be in this room that I'm going to call the, uh, the tower of the Dolores spike or something like that, you know? And, and, and so. I, then I let my imagination wander into things that I really dig and stuff that I really like. And I kind of throw it out there to people who have similar tastes and, and such as I do, uh, like fortunately all of my publishers during the <laughs> entire blessedness of the career that I've had in role-playing games. And they go, well, as, uh, as Steve uh, Chenault would say, dang, that's cool, daddy-o, let's do this. And so then we do it, you know, or... Or, or Bill goes, Bill Webb goes, say no more. Ah, that sounds nice. What's the name of it again? You know, and I give him the name and he's like, ooh, I love the name. And so then, then we just go and, and I talk to dudes like Levi and, and my other friends in the RPGs. I'll talk to Skeeter or, you know, uh, uh, Zach uh, Glazer and I'll go, hey, this is my idea for this thing. And they're like, why aren't you finished writing it already? You know? <laughs> and uh, they're like, don't tell me anymore. I want to play it, you know? So that's, that's a pretty cool thing. But, but yeah, I write everything down. I draw it. I make sketches and I, I pre-plan until it's just, it, it drives me crazy. And then I force myself to sit down and actually type it up. So that is such a cool process. I love the idea of drawing it out. So you have the visual cause that's what you're conveying, you know, the mind's right. eye. Awesome, fantastic, Levi. You're uh, up. We already talked about um, avoiding the wall of text. Right. Um, I, I also like bullet points, uh, and I've, I've I was never like this before, but um, once I got into writing adventures, I really realized like uh, you start getting that wall of text, your eyes start glazing over three, four <laughs> paragraphs in. Sometimes you're like, uh huh, uh huh, okay, uh huh. But if you if you put in those bullet points, it kind of it really does kind of just line everything out you know make mm -hmm. it makes it really really simple again like uh like mike was saying you know you, you know where your adventure's going and sometimes your players are very predictable but not everybody else can read your mind you know they they, they don't they don't always know what's going on mm -hmm. sometimes you don't necessarily always have to spell it out for them but but really those bullet points man they, they really help and they're easy on the eyes they're easy on the attention span um so you know you know that that, that really helps out um the other thing would be that, you know, a lot of people think that the DM, like like when you're buying a book, that the DM is the audience. You know, you're you're selling the book to the DM, mm -hmm. um, or the adventure is for the DM. But I don't I don't agree with that at all. I've heard so many people say that. Um, for, for me, for you know, for for what it is to me, um, you're selling really you're selling the, the the adventure to the players mm -hmm. because they're you know there's we'll just say you have four players, so there's five people sitting at the table. So you've got, you know, one, one guy's the DM and the other four are the people that are experiencing it. They're the people who's who are going to have the memories of your game. How, how good was that module? You know, there's not many DMs that are sitting around going, oh, man, you know, it was really cool to fly out, fly out of the top of the, you know, White Plume Mountain in the Cuban forest and flow down the side of the mountain, you know, or, or you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. 
um, it's the players. They're they're the ones who are making those crazy memories, and you know they're the ones who are remembering fighting that giant crab in the in the big bubble, or you know duking it out with the ogre magi for the magic weapons underneath the volcano. You know they're the ones who are remembering all these cool all this cool stuff. Um, so I think it's important to make memorable encounters for the players. Um, and so really you're selling it to the players rather than, you know, make your audience a DM because, you know, as writers, we can get into all this, you know, we get real flowery with our language and we get real long winded sometimes, but eh. <laughs> you're really, it's, yeah, you're selling it to, you're, yeah, you're selling it to the players. That, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, uh, it, it, it uh, asked the question a little bit of, of how much of the authorship, and we don't necessarily have to get into this right now, but how much of the authorship of your creation do you pass on to the person running it? Um, and there's a there's a degree of authorship that the person running your module has over that experience. Right. And, and when you are uh, putting the players first in your mind, Levi, I think you're doing a very smart thing because... As someone who runs a lot of games, um, I want to entice people to join the game. And so uh, if the module doesn't sound very exciting, they're not going to want to be like, oh, yeah, of course. But if it's uh, if it's if it's got some cool hook to it, I could see that being the the DM then sells your cell to the players. <laughs> right. Uh, the DM is going to be the one purchasing the adventure. But in their mind, there's whether or not they run it for their players is, you know, are, are my players going to enjoy this? Does this have some cool scenes they're going to like? Absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah man, that, that really brings up a conversation I had with a, a, a fellow author and creator once upon a time. I, I said to a man, you know, uh, uh, people I started out with, you know, they, they were like, answer the questions ahead of time for the game master so that the game could go smooth for the players. Mm. You know, be... Be, be precise about things like what happens if the players go do this thing instead of following the funnel that you're trying to put them into, you know? And because the ultimate goal of, of those original uh, people that I've worked with was it, it's supposed to, you want them to have fun so that they'll tell their friends what fun they had playing in this company's adventures or your particular adventures and, and want to get more of your stuff, you know? That, and, and, I had a guy who's who's a fellow uh, adventure creator who literally said, and, and so I, I say, man, I want I want this to be playable. I want to be able to play this with friends, or I want my friends to be able to pick it up and play it without me and enjoy it. And he goes, man, I don't care about any of that as long as it's sold. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, Mike, before we move on, did you have any additional thoughts on? Um, writing the module for someone else's uh, viewpoint for them to be able to pick up your written word and still have a solid idea of what you intended. Well, um, other than what I've already said, I guess the only thing I'll add to it is um, don't get bogged down in tons and tons of backstory for mm -hmm. your adventure. I mean, some background is good, but some people, I, I've read some adventures where half the adventure is just the backstory in page count. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh God, don't care. Don't care. I just, <laughs> I just want them to, to level up. Okay. That's yeah. just dumb. <laughs> so yeah, that, watch. If you want to write a fantasy novel, write a fantasy novel. Don't, mm -hmm. don't stick it in your adventure. Well, let's uh, move on to publishing. Just the, uh, 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 you know, we, we talked about the guy who said he didn't care if it was good. He just wanted it to sell. Well, we still have to care if it sells or not, if we're going to try to publish our own modules, uh, you know, and we're, we've talked about how to make it good, but the publishing process, um, what has that been like for each of you? I know you've all published modules. Um, what are, what is your advice to someone who wants to write a module and publish it in the current marketplace today? Um, and uh, we'll just go down the line again, starting with Casey. Um, there, the thing about the now with, uh, with, uh, everything that's going on, as people like to say, <laughs> uh, the initial impact in, uh, I'll call it, uh, March during the, the March terror that we had, mm -hmm. uh, did impact uh, quite a few people's products, books, Kickstarters, all of that kind of stuff. 
saw a significant, uh, you know, hit in the wall. The same thing happened uh, when the housing market crashed. Same thing happened with some other things. And it'll it'll cause a three to six month disruption in how things, and maybe longer, the housing market one was a little bit longer of a time hmm. uh, of, of impact on, on publishing and printing adventures and things like that. Uh, honestly, though, the biggest impact is if, uh, if the big kid on the block changes their uh, edition. Mm-hmm. That's more disruptive to uh, the market than anything else for one to three years until everything gets all sorted out. But right now, if, you're, if you've written something or you've got an idea and you've built a plan and you've done your uh, homework like uh, Levi has on uh, doing your Kickstarters and your backer kits and your bumbles and your bundles and your shippings and your things and your printing costs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd say there's no reason not to jump in and do your thing because uh, games are games and people are going to gather together in some way, shape, or form, just like we're gathered in this Zoom meeting <laughs> to meet up and roll dice and hang out with their friends and whatever means necessary to pass the time. Gamers are going to game no matter what, whether they're rich or poor. Uh, they're they're going to scrape together 25 to $50 to get that book if that book is going to continue 6 to 10 months or a year worth of enjoyment for mm-hmm. them they're going to buy it so do it fantastic and um, I don't necessarily mean uh, uh, just in the, the time of, of COVID oh, okay. um, uh, but just well, publishing in general for yeah. someone new to publishing um, uh, well I think everything you said yeah. was very uh, uh, insightful especially for the time we're in hopefully with uh, this mm. being stored for posterity, people will be watching this when we're yeah. not in this time, hopefully. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, like I said, game gamers are going to game, and they're going to buy the stuff if they think it's cool and if they're excited about the concept. But you got to come with good editing, mm-hmm. great artwork, uh, something that's different. The stuff Levi's doing, obviously different. You know, other companies have uh, Goodman and uh, Trolls and Frogs and all of those folks have had uh, years to cultivate a, a, a following, a group of people that uh, purchase their, their goods and uh, and preach about their wares, you know. Uh, and, and, and so you got you to find your, your special niche. And there's so many independent games that are so great. And most of them are funding. If you look at the Kickstarters, mm-hmm. if you look at the Indiegogos, there aren't many of them that are failing to, to fund. If they are failing to fund, it's because uh, they made some mathematical mistakes. Mm-hmm. They overestimated this, that, the other thing, or they weren't ready to put in the work because uh, every one of us in this in this uh, Zoom chat will tell you we put in 60, 70, 80 hours a week on the stuff that we really love to make it come out. So. Yeah. Earn awesome. those big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> pennies on the pennies on the dollar. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Tens of dollars a year in the <laughs> field of game design. Yeah. All right. Well, Levi, uh, do you have anything uh, to add to this uh, conversation of of publishing? Uh, advice for people who want to publish their own modules. Um, adventures, adventure pass. I don't know what the right terminology is these days. I still call them modules. Sometimes I call them quests because I started playing Hero Quest when I first game. <laughs> now they'll always be modules to me, man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, piggybacking off uh, what was said earlier, <clears throat> I think uh, being genuine with uh, with your with your stuff is um, is hugely important. Um, People, especially gamers, can uh, they, they can smell the BS. If you're just trying <laughs> to just uh, just sell them something that you that you cobble together and, and threw together in a, in a in a hurry or that you don't care about or uh, that you yourself wouldn't play or don't think is interesting, I think most of the time that um, they can smell that and they they, they know it. Um, but if you're invested in what you're doing and you believe and you you like what you're what you're writing or, or or you're collaborating with others on and you're excited about it i think that translates and i think that people uh that sometimes that excitement can be catching um so i think that being genuine uh, is a huge a huge bonus um mentors are that's a big deal um 
they they it's a huge help. And I think a lot of times um, in our hobby that folks um, they just don't reach out like mm-hmm. they should, or, or or that they not even that they should that that they that they could um, to folks who are either in the industry or are uh, are involved. Uh, I say industry, but the hobby mm-hmm. um, that you know that they're <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Uh, that people who who already are, are established, you know, um, I wouldn't have had any success at all as far as traction goes um, without the advice and the help of some people uh, that I, I literally just picked up the phone and called, or I said, "Hey, do you know this person? Uh, could you, you know, can I cold call them?" You know, and ten out of ten times, everyone was super cool. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's like I overheard it at uh, North Texas one time. I heard overheard, we're all just versions of the same guy. <laughs> you know, Skeeter, yeah. like we're all yeah, Skeeter Green. We're all the same guy. We're just different versions of that of that guy. We're all in the same stuff. You know, we're all in the, we all want the same thing. So, um, having those mentors has has helped me just a great deal. And and then of course just being kind of I don't want to call it brazen, but just asking for help. You know, just mm-hmm. saying hey. I don't know what the legal issue is here. Let me call somebody who might know, or I don't know a, a good artist for this. Like, ah, how much do I charge an artist? You know, how much, mm-hmm. how much should I calculate for shipping? Let me call somebody who ran a Kickstarter before. And if you do that, uh, and just don't be not so much shy about it, but just don't be um, self-conscious about it. Almost always people are willing to help out. So um, awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. And Mike Stewart, uh, what is your advice for people who want to publish their own modules? You mean self-publish or publish through one of the companies? Well, either um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, whichever one do you want to uh, well, speak to. I think to. they covered, I think Casey and Levi covered self-publishing or okay. that sort of thing pretty, pretty well. Um, about the only thing I'd add as far as getting your stuff published is to play off what Levi was saying, you know, just type up your manuscript and have it on hand when you go talk to somebody mm-hmm. about it. You know, that doesn't mean shove it in their face and say, read this now in the middle of the convention, <laughs> but have it available. So if they say, Hey, that sounds like an interesting idea. Do you have anything together? Then you got it right there and be willing to accept constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. be teachable. Keep in mind, their editors are there to make your product good. They're not there trying to give you, you know, Nine, nine, nine times out of a hundred, they're not there to give you grief. They're trying to help you. Mm-hmm. So take it in in the spirit that it's given. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, I am going to uh, uh, open this up for any questions. If we do have any audience questions, um, there is a chat window. If you have a question and you're in the audience, you can just say that you have a question and then I can unmute you and have you ask your question. So if there is questions, we'll do a Q&A section. If not, that's totally fine. Okay, someone has a question. I'm going to unmute them, see if that worked. Hi. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so uh, I have written outlines for a a handful of adventures and i've not really formalized anything fully but i'm it's it's on my list of things to do and i have two or three adventures i've been working on um in your experience uh whenever you have an idea for uh a whether it's a single adventure or maybe a a, a more like an accessory product for an existing rpg What's, what's your best way to go about publishing that and getting it in front of people? Do you, so I know you touched on this, but there's a, several markets that you could take. Do you go Kickstarter? Do you go drive through RPG? Do you sell it as PDFs off your own website? What, what's, what's your approach? Who wants to feel this one? <laughs> I'll, I, think I'll, I think I'll start and I'll let you, you clean up because you, you do that pretty well. Uh, <laughs> Um, if you want to go through a publisher, uh, it's difficult right now, but go to the conventions and schmooze a bit, get into some of their games, kind of, kind of meet them, get to know them. Don't, don't like you, like you said, like Mike said, don't, don't wave the manuscript under their nose and read it now, you know, uh, just kind of, kind of 
get to know some of these folks or go play in their virtual games and things like that. Uh, most of the people are, are especially in the, in the, our little indie end of things, are very approachable, very approachable. Uh, and maybe they're at a point where they're ready to start uh, bringing on other people's manuscripts and, and trying them out. That's uh, how I got my start. And um, that that's pretty nice, you know, to be able to be that guy to fill a hole in their production schedule with an adventure that uh, they, they like, you know. Um, so I think that's that's one of the things I want I wanted to touch on. And uh, Levi, I'm going to pass off to you, I think. If you want to self-publish, yeah. um, I, I think um, now is a better time than ever to self-publish. Yeah. Um, not only is the is a hobby at like a like a height that um, is almost unrivaled at any other time. I mean, really, I mean, with all the, the you know exposure that it's getting, um, social media, and then uh, places like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Drive Through, all these avenues where you can just self-publish, yeah. um, they're they're wide open. Um, right. And, and once you get a little bit of advice or you, you, you get eyes on what you're doing with Kickstarter, it, I promise you, it's not that hard. Like it, it's, uh, it's daunting, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, ah, and you're hovering over that button the entire time. Like, ah, do I press start. But once you get it down, once you, once you, you get going, you get rolling, you have your product and you put it out there. It's, it's not that hard, uh, to self publish. Um, I will add, you want to build uh, your, you may want to build your social media presence enough to have enough people to be able to see and share and like your stuff just to oh, kind of sure. get it out there. You got because you can't, you know, you may have the best adventure idea in the world, you may have the best module in the world, and you may start a Kickstarter, but if you only know 100 people, that's your market that's that's a problem there are marketing agencies out there and some of them are more reputable than others who will blast your stuff out there into the void but they're going to either take a percentage of what you make off of your funding so you have to take that into consideration into how much you need to really fund you know like how much it costs you to print how much it costs you to pay a good editor how much it costs you to pay really real artists uh and and then consider if you don't have ten thousand people or forty thousand people on your uh, Instagram account, <laughs> <laughs> you might you might uh, you might consider one of those uh, marketing uh, services. So, so get hip with the gram. <laughs> yeah. No, listen. Uh, so uh, when you get to, again, it goes back to that thing about mentors and people that you know. Um, going to the conventions, meeting people, um, like Carl, like we had, I, I didn't meet you till last year at, at, um, at North Texas, but we had like three or four friends in common, you know, mm -hmm. that beforehand, you know, we're from the same state. Like right. people, it's weird. The amount of people from Arkansas that are in the role-playing games who are now in role-playing games. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's so bizarre to me. Cause I, I never I'd grown up even from my hometown. Like, yeah, there's tiny, not a lot to do here. <laughs> Those connections and mentors and, and building any kind of social media presence, all that for sure, for sure helps. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Another opportunity to uh, get your foot in the door or at least get uh, publishers to know who you are is to volunteer to play test. Um, that's how I first got involved with Trollord Games when they were playtesting Castles and Crusades. I, <laughs> I helped with that, and once, and that was a great way to meet mm -hmm. people and get get known and and be known, and then say, "Hey, I've got this adventure idea," and you know, just kind of go from there. It's literally how I met Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, great. Uh, we have another question, and uh, that is from Larry. I'm going to unmute them now, and go ahead. Okay, I think I'm here. Yes, you are. Okay, good. Um, well, I've always been a player, and lately Vivian and I have been um, writing and uh, self-publishing modules as mini zines, and then that brought me into being a DM because I couldn't get anyone else to play my games. So <laughs> um, I've... <laughs> 
you know, if you're a songwriter, you got to perform your own songs, right? Because no one else is going to. So, um, uh, but I just wanted to comment on Rule of Cool, really, because uh, from a player's perspective, because I'm mainly a player still. And um, when I'm playing and uh, the party or myself gets into a pretty bad bind, um, and there's not probably any real way to fight and roll your way out of it, um, I have found that um, if you come up with an idea that the DM would like to have happen, it kind of smooths the path. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the dice still decide, but (laughs) it doesn't hurt to have the DM think, man, that'd go good in the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or or resolve a circumstance by, you know, and the DM going, huh, I hadn't thought about that, but that's kind of cool. That's it, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, uh, you know, the DMs had uh, a thousand barbarians charge in their swords waving, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I always hated it when, uh, like, you know, there's something hidden in the room. You know it's there. The player knows it's there. Everybody knows it's there, but you still make them roll. Mm-hmm. Tell me you're looking <laughs> for it, you know. Like, you know, nine times out of ten, I'm like, oh, well, you know, it just so happens when you uh, lifted up that curtain. You know, whatever There's it was. There's a pair of feet on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Larry, I, I, I feel that the rule of cool for sure. Uh, I was running my uh, my long-lasting uh, City of Brass campaign, and uh, I used uh, the uh, the most recent version of uh, Wizards' is, uh, All of the Fire Giant King is one of the layers uh, and put one of my characters from the, uh, the one end to the other and uh, had the... Uh, the fire giant king hired the party after they had tried to infiltrate and got into a little scuffle hired the party to kill the fire giantist who lives on the basement floor who's the character that that i brought we all know what a meat grinder that dungeon is if we've Mm -hmm. ever played it there's mind flayers and red dragons and giants and bigger giants and baby giants the size of ogres and it's it's in throwing you know it's it's crazy, and then and then there's a, a mini temple to elemental evil in there as well. It's got some really <laughs> bad curses, and and I got to a point with the party where I I nuked them really bad with mind players on in the crystal cave, uh, and uh, they and so I could they they could have all literally been dead. That could have been the end of the campaign. We played a year and a half into this. They're all like twelfth level guys. They're not tenth level, twelfth level. They're not like jumps anymore. And I'm like I could end it all now or she can hire them to go kill the guy that hired them to kill her and then <laughs> problem solved see and uh it, it made it fun and it made it one of those things where it could have been really horrible where it's like well we, we just did all of this and now you're all dead and you didn't even get to have your hand on the lever of the switch that's going to save the universe as you were going out and dying you know so yeah. make, make it fun man that's that's the main key and that's an interesting point talking about the you know the thing invisible hidden thing in the room whenever you're designing your adventure don't ever put something because i did this in one of my first adventures don't have the whole adventure grind to a halt because nobody can make their role (laughs) (laughs) if it's vital for them to find x so that they can open y door and continue the adventure but they have to roll to do it don't don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. They'll all blow it and everything. They're just sitting around for days in a room asking, can I roll again? Which wire, which wire am I supposed to cut? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. All right. We have a last a follow-up question from Kier again, and uh, we're going to go ahead and do that and then uh, end the panel. So, Kier, I'm unmuting you, and you can ask your question now. Well, to be fair, I probably have like a million follow-up questions, but well, yeah. go ahead, we'll go ahead and keep it limited. That's why I said um, we were ending the panel. No. <laughs> so talk fast. So, all right. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one question because this is something that I personally struggle with. I'm sure a lot of uh, uh, creators struggle with this. Um, how do you get from like 75% or 90% of the way there to done? Because I find like that's the hardest part. I get to where I'm starting to get that little bit of burnout, and so how, how do you how do you find that motivation? What what are steps you take to finish that task, finish that project? 
I have the opposite problem. Hmm. I, I, I come up with, a, like, I draw all the pictures, I come up with the ideas, and then I'm like, man, stupid introduction. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll spend, like, a week and a half on the introduction and then finish the whole, like, like a 20,000-word uh, module. It'll be 2,000 words in the introduction and the getting started and how to play this adventure and all of this stuff, and I just... I hate every bit of it, you know, and I'm like, this has to sound cool because it's got to have a good hook. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, you know, and I, and I him and haw. And then when it finally I get that written, then I'm so excited to finish the rest of it, you know. But yeah, when you get to a part where you're stuck, like, how do I, how do I end it? That's uh, kind of one of those things where I like to answer that question right off the bat. I want it. Mm-hmm. I want this to be the outcome. I want to. When, when I come up with the idea for it, well, how's it going to end? You want to kind of think about the outcome as you're, as you're developing the story to that point. I think that will help you a lot. Yeah. Um, whenever I've hit the, near the end of the adventure and I'm like, well, I've got another thousand, fifteen hundred words to do. Usually I'll just go and for a couple of days, just do something else and not think mm-hmm. about it at all. And usually coming back to it with a fresh set of, you know, perspectives can help me just snap it out in an evening or two. Yeah, Kier, I, I have a, a very similar um, slog like that. Like I'll, I'll go through, I'll do 80, 90%, just, I'll just burn through it, bam, 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 and then get to that last um, 10, 20%, and then not so much get stuck, but just get tired or get uh, just a little burnt out. Uh, and what I find that helps me to kind of um, to get past that is I'll, I'll work on like three things at once. So I'll have like a Zion over here, a module here, and then maybe I'm doing like uh, like uh, just a, something else for a friend over here. And I can switch between the three of them. So if I'm tired of writing kind of uh, the glimmering crypt of the Ion King, I can go over here and work on phylactery three. And then, oh, oh man, I'm tired of both of these things. Let me do something that isn't mine and go help Wampler with Scientific Barbarian. You know what I'm saying? I can just move between the three. And so when I'm sick of one, I can go to the other and then mm-hmm. back and forth. And then if I'm just sick of the whole thing, period, I do what Mike says. I just step away for a couple of days or a week or however long it takes and then right. come back to it. Yeah, with that particular problem, I, I, I wonder if it isn't the mental jump of having it be a finished product that is holding you back. You know, when you're when you're that close to being done and you go, mm, how do I finish this? Maybe it's the nerves and anxiety of having something that's finished, you know? So uh, th- there may be something to consider. Like, yeah. it's a, once you put a stamp on it and say it's done and release it into the world, that's a different feeling than getting this addiction to this idea and rolling it around in your head. Um. Well, I guess the question would be then when you're saying getting 90% but can't get done, is it that you don't know how the adventure is going to end and you're still working on it or you do, but it's just the slog of putting it down and getting it straight? I think it's probably a combination of what you said and what Carl said. Okay. So uh, I think that there is twofold. One, there is that, that slog. Uh, and, and also just how do you determine okay this is done now mm-hmm. you know but but beyond that it's the slog of getting that last 10 percent written up those last details because the end is usually written up just like uh, uh casey said that's that's my starting point where does this adventure end mm-hmm. and uh uh and then I'm writing down all the 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 encounters and and working out all the maps and all the set the other connecting then, the dots yeah. yeah 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 and then uh and then i th- think carl hit the nail on the head a little bit in that once it's done you have to put it out there <laughs> at which point you get that feedback and you're a little worried that it might not be great feedback <laughs> i was doing a seminar at a convention in tyler and somebody asked me you know how do you avoid negative criticism on your work and I told them that, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, there's going to be somebody somewhere on the internet who hates it. <laughs> Period. I mean, you just have to accept that. I mean, 
constructive criticism you should always look for, but if it's it sucks and you suck, you know, well, you just got to deal with it. You know, just, okay, this guy's didn't have his Wheaties for breakfast or something. <laughs> He's got Please, everybody, all, all the time. Yeah, pretty much. Well, this, uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and draw to a close. I want to thank you all so much for joining us uh, for the panel. Um, I do think there's something special about writing an adventure and sitting it out, and I do think it is in that shared authorship, and I think Kier and anyone else should join in that shared authorship Absolutely. and put it out there and let the game master take it and make it their own and there's something about the memories that are formed around that like you know we can talk about reading a book and and have shared experiences and reading the book but when we talk about whether we were running halfling hall or mummy bride or bard's gate or whatever it was we talk about these as experiences we had and you as an author of a module helped create those experiences and that's just there's something there's something of the divine in there when you do that so um uh thank you so much for providing this wisdom for uh the people at uh, nea game fest and uh thank you everyone uh and i think we're done that's a cool thanks. hang man thanks there for the invite outstanding outstanding some games may change but the castle's crusade siege engine remains the same everywhere now we have three recordings so if something wow. goes wrong and we lose this uh then posterity be damned <laughs>